Hi, Aaron. Hi, Isaac. What do you got for us today? Uh, we got a little podcast action today. Oh, what's it called? It's called Old Acquaintances. Uh, it's from a piece that we did um, as part of a New Year show a couple of years ago at the University Club called Timeline. Uh, and we've taken one of the short stories and we've reconverted it into a podcast script. And uh, we're going to do it for you right now. Cool. What's it about? Um, it's about a couple that meet on New Year's Eve on 1949 going into 1950. Um, um, and they're both sort of about to make some pretty big changes in their lives. And uh, it's just about two people meeting and finding a path together. All right. Well, I'm excited to hear it. All right. Let's do it. And, and go. go. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We're the Tony Thomas Big Band, and I'm Tony Thomas. And we are so happy to be ringing in the new year with you tonight at the Glen Ridge Country Club. Looking at the clock on the wall, we're only 20 minutes away from midnight, so don't go anywhere. The waiters will be bringing around champagne before the countdown, and together, we'll ring in 1950. A new year and a new decade. Now, let's slow things down a little bit, boys. Gentlemen, grab that lovely lady you're with and dance her to the stars. I'll be back in a moment, Father. I'm just going to go and powder my nose. Hurry back, dear. You won't want to miss the countdown. Terribly sorry. I, I didn't mean to... Uh, no, it's all right. You've somehow managed to find a rather quiet corner amongst all this to do. Well done. <laughs> My apologies. I was just looking for some place to... Uh, the ballroom was beginning to feel a bit crowded. <laughs> if you'll excuse me, oh, I... Oh, no, please, don't let me run you off. I was also trying to escape the ballroom. I shouldn't have disturbed you. You didn't. I suppose this is no way to celebrate the new year. I'm ashamed to say I've been sitting here feeling a bit, uh, moochy. Moochy? Uh, sorry for myself, I'm afraid. I know what it means. It's just not a word I hear a lot. My brother used to say it. He got it from our Uncle Patty. It's New Year's Eve. We're allowed to feel a bit melancholy, aren't we? Yes, that's right. And it's a new decade. After this last one, we're... Do for a change anyway, right? Right. I'm trying to be more optimistic about the future. Here, here. Well, you probably have some handsome man waiting for you inside. I wouldn't want to keep you from him. It's almost midnight. I don't, actually. I came with my parents. I hadn't wanted to, but they rather insisted. I would have much rather stayed home and listened to Guy Lombardo on the radio. <laughs> it's quite a party. 
Yes, the club goes all out every year. My parents have been coming here ever since I can remember. When I was a little girl, I would watch my mother get ready. She would wear these beautiful gowns. Once, I couldn't have been more than five. I remember she had this lovely beaded gown, all of these tiny little beads sewn together. I can remember touching it the way it felt, and it had this plunging neckline. Even at that age, I knew it was risque. Mother just laughed, said one day I'd understand. And now you're all grown up wearing your own beautiful gown. Oh, thank you. It's not new. And your mother, does she still wear such scandalous clothes? Oh, my goodness gracious, no. <laughs> I can't even imagine. No, she's much more reserved nowadays. But then I, I guess we all are. I'm sorry, how terribly rude. Can I offer you a glass of champagne? A waiter left it here. I wasn't sure if it was meant for me, but that was ages ago, and he hasn't come back. <laughs> Do we dare? Let's. To a new decade. Cheers. And you? I imagine you have some tall beauty waiting for you in the ballroom. Alas, uh, no. <laughs> I was dragged here as well by some very well-meaning friends. Uh, I should say their wives are well-meaning. My friends are always telling me how lucky I am. Because you're not married. Yes. <laughs> Says every married man, I imagine. So it would seem. They even tried to fix me up, but uh, she got sick at the last minute. Oh, that's too bad. I guess. Frankly, I was rather relieved. Won't your friends be looking for you? I doubt they'll realize that I've gone. They've got their wives to celebrate with. I could probably leave and they wouldn't notice. In fact, I was just getting ready to go when you came by. Well, I am sorry. Don't be. Actually, I lied. I'm not sorry. It's nearly midnight. If you leave now, where will you be when midnight strikes? In the back of some cab? No. It may be the end of a very bad decade, but we're here celebrating the new one. And what better way to start a new year than with a new acquaintance? I'm Sylvia. It's nice to meet you. Bill. Bill. Now there's a good, solid name. Do you ever go as William? Only on my birth certificate and my paychecks. Oh, so an alias. Hiding out. You're not one of those Nazi war criminals I hope escaping to South America. Not nearly. Well, that's a relief. Would be an odd route to take, don't you think? What? Berlin? Albany? Argentina? It makes perfect sense. Clearly it does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to make light. Were you... A soldier? I was. I was stationed in the South Pacific. Well, aren't the two of us just a couple of cut-ups? Do we know how to celebrate or what? I'm trying to be in the spirit. Really, I am. But something doesn't quite feel right, does it? No, it doesn't. Like the calendar, the clock is just pushing you forward, but something is holding you back. That's... Right. How do you... I guess I feel it, too. Moochie. Yes. Moochie. Well, uh, why don't you tell me a little about yourself? Are you from here? Not originally. Uh, we had a farm. We were hit pretty hard by the crash, and then my father passed. So my mother moved my older brother and myself to the city. You gave up your farm? 
How terribly sad. How old were you? I was 14, the summer of 36. My brother was a year older. We had an aunt who let us stay with her. Luckily, my brother and I were old enough to work, so we didn't struggle too badly. What did you do? Anything I could, really. What was the worst job you had? Uh, I worked in a butcher shop one summer. I can't even begin to tell you how horrible that was. That sounds horrid. Yeah, in the summer heat, you can't imagine the smell. Okay, you're beginning to tell me. Please stop. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> when did you enlist? Right after Pearl Harbor. My brother had already joined the army. It felt like the only thing to do was follow him. And your brother, did he? Yes. He was in Europe. He was wounded on the German front, but he survived. He lives with my mom. You're very lucky. I suppose we are. Alan, my brother, he suffered a head injury. He forgets things a lot. Sometimes he, uh, forgets he's a grown-up. I'm sorry. Don't be. On the flip side, he doesn't remember anything about the war. It's like it never happened. I suppose that's the best possible outcome, because remembering... I... I am a complete knucklehead. Uh, you're not. I am. Do I know how to entertain a handsome gentleman or what? No, don't say that. It's been hard, yes, but it's, uh... It's odd, I, I know, but it actually helps to talk about it. But it's New Year's Eve, and it's only... Oh, my goodness, 15 minutes to midnight. I, I should let you get back to your friends. I'm really sorry to have kept you. Uh, no, please, uh, don't go. And. Unless you have to get back to your parents. The truth is, I was having a terrible time until a few minutes ago, and, well, <laughs> I'd like to keep chatting with you, if that's all right. All right. I don't want to keep you from your family, though. Oh, please. They're probably happy to be rid of me. I'm quickly becoming the old maid, still living with her parents, teaching the fourth grade. You teach? I do. That's terrific. Well, I suppose. It makes my father feel better about spending money to send a daughter to college. I'm sure he'd much rather I just found a nice man and got married. Are you an only child? I, um... My brother, he didn't make it back. Oh. God, Sylvia, I'm so sorry. Thank you. What a stupid question, really. No, I understand so much loss, it's impossible to make even small talk without stumbling onto some tragedy. I'm glad you asked, though. It makes me happy to remember him. Was he older? Yes, four years. He was 19 and at school when the Japs bombed Pearl Harbor. He was gone the next day. When we got word that he... Well, I don't think there's a word to describe it, really. Gobsmacked? Yes, <laughs> That's a good one. After the funeral, my father told me that if I wanted, I could use the rest of his tuition to go to school myself. A consolation prize, I guess. They probably assumed I would stay nearby, but I felt I needed to be somewhere new. So I went to Mount Holyoke. Did you know you wanted to be a teacher? It was something I'd thought of. I'm not sure it was the goal, but when I graduated, I suddenly felt so selfish for having moved away. My parents just seemed so sad. I decided to move home and took a teaching job at the new elementary school. But you like it? 
I like the children. They always manage to make me smile. What about you? What do you do? I work in a small factory that makes kitchen appliances. That sounds like very solid employment. Oh, it is. And do you like it? I'm not sure what's to like. It's, like you say, solid. It's a good crew. That's where I met the friends who dragged me here. So, here we are, at the turn of a decade. Solid and expected. I guess that means we won the war, right? Five years ago, I would have agreed, but when you look at the world now, do you see what's happening in Germany? They're building an actual wall right down the middle. And Korea, and now Russia, has the bomb? Well, don't blame me. I voted for Henry Wallace. We spent all that time, all those lives, fighting the Nazis, and now it's communists? Didn't we learn anything? Maybe it feels different because we're not the underdog anymore. A.J. Musty once said, The problem after a war is with the victor. He thinks he has just proven that war and violence pay. Who will now teach him a lesson? I mean, isn't that the sign of a war won? Our nation shows its strength while its people go back to normal, everyone returning to their quiet existence, free of tyranny and oppression. They give us enemies to help us know the difference between right and wrong. Frankly, my parents taught me how to do that myself. Why are you smiling? I just don't meet many young women like you. Like how? I don't know. Uh, philosophical? You really voted for Henry Wallace. They say he's a communist. They would have said anything if it meant winning. And yes, I do sometimes tend to wax philosophic. I, sir, am college educated, and I'm sorry if that offends you. <laughs> no, not at all. In fact, I like it. The guys from the factory, their wives don't really talk about stuff like this. Neither do their husbands, come to think about it. What do they talk about? It's not tyranny and oppression, that's for sure. Well, that's my point, isn't it? We quelled the evil empire. Aren't we supposed to just go back to the way things were before? Or are we too changed in some fundamental way? Do you? What? Feel changed. Well, I... I feel like I'm not the person I would have been if that war had never happened. If... If I hadn't lost my brother. But is that a change, or is it just the way things were meant to be? Meant to be. Now there's an idea. Fate. You believe in fate? Uh... Our unit was under fire by a machine gun nest on Saipan. My, uh... Best friend in the unit and I were hunkered down. I was given the order to move forward to try to take out the nest, but just as I got up, I took a hit to the shoulder. It was just a graze, but in the confusion, our CO ordered Wally to do it. I tried to say I was fine, that I would do it, but it was too late. Wally was able to take out the nest, but he took some hits, and he, uh, he didn't make it home. If I hadn't taken that hit... It would have been me. A miracle. Not for Wally. No, of course not. I didn't mean... I know. I'm sorry. Of course you didn't. I just... How do you make sense of something like that? My God. Not that, please. When you see something like that, something so raw as a life leaving a body, 
The words of the men of God seem wholly insufficient, and it wasn't just him. The ambush tore into our unit. We lost nine guys that day, nine of fifteen, and every one of them was my friend but Wally. I don't think I've ever felt... When someone like Wally... If you'd only knew him. Wally... Wally Sinclair? Yes, I... How do you... My full name is Sylvia Sinclair. Wally was my brother. That's... Not possible. I mean, he said he had a sister, but she was... Sivvy. Are you Billy Boy? How He mentioned you in his letters. This is incredible. He... He talked about you all the time. I felt like I knew Sivvy. I... I... I can't believe this. He's the only one I ever let call me Sivvy. He knew I hated it, but if I complained, he only did it more. After a while, hearing him say it made it seem special. After he... I just never thought I'd hear anyone call me that again. Uh... I, uh... Well, uh... (laughs) This just has to be the left-field thing of all time. Now, I'm sorry, too, about that story. You shouldn't have had to hear it. No, I'm glad. There's so much they don't tell you. I used to imagine him, you know, laying on the floor of the jungle somewhere all by himself, scared, alone. But now I know he wasn't. Now I know he had his billy boy with him. I I can't believe he uh, wrote about me to the point that you would remember. He mentioned you in almost all of them. That you were brave and that he felt safer knowing you were there. So you don't hate me? Hate you? What for? For killing your brother. Killing him? Did you not hear that story I just told? Excuse me, Billy Boy, but I will not hear any more of that from you. Do you understand? You did not kill my brother. An enemy soldier did. But it was supposed to be me. Supposed to be? What does that even mean? And what about the other ten men in that company? Was it supposed to be them? It wasn't supposed to be anyone. No one is supposed to die in war, because war isn't supposed to happen. But it did, and they did die, all eleven of them, including my brother and your best friend. So please, do not dishonor my brother's sacrifice by implying that it was just some random mistake. I'm so very sorry. I should... I should let you get back to your family. Stop. Right there. This has been one of the strangest evenings. Earlier, you mentioned fate. And if this isn't... My parents never talk about him. I'd like to spend a little time with someone who remembers him. Someone who cared about him as much as I did. More than I did. Sylvia, I don't know what you think you know. I know that he loved you. I'm sorry to put it so plainly, and I'm sorry if it embarrasses you, but it's true. 
Every letter would tell us how miserable things were and how dangerous. But in his letters to me, he told me about you. And those letters, Bill, they were different. He said you kept him from becoming too moochy. I wish I could say I was clever and could read between the lines, but I didn't have to. I already knew that Wally was different. We never kept secrets from one another. He once wrote that knowing you and being able to tell me about it were the only things that kept him going over there. I realize now that it may have been best if I didn't say anything. You should know you can trust me. I would never say anything to anyone. Perhaps I will go back to my parents. Here's my calling card. I hope that perhaps after this shock wears off, perhaps we could meet for lunch. I would very much like us to be friends. I hope you won't feel ashamed around me. It's a comfort to know he was with someone who cared about him at the end. You should know I'm not ashamed. That day they carried him back to us and he was bleeding. He'd been hit about three or four times. I stood there and he looked up at me and I just looked down at him and he said, Well, Billy boy, we didn't make it, did we? And tears were just rolling down my cheeks. I don't know when I've ever felt such a lump and such a waste. And he kind of gave me a boyish, crooked grin and just said, well, maybe next time. And I said, I'm going to miss you. I mean, what, what a stupid thing to say. All the things I should have said to him in that moment, but I was too afraid. There were people standing around, maybe seven or eight people standing there, and I was there touching his hand, and we were talking, and then he, he just closed his eyes. <clears throat> I've never been able to talk about, about it like this before. My CO said later, you were pretty good friends because I'd been openly crying and most people don't do this. I said, yes, you were quite good friends. I thought he was going to admonish me, but he just placed a hand on my shoulder and sat there with me. I knew he knew, but right then I knew it didn't matter. It was a secret in the unit because it had to be, but we used to talk about where we'd go when we got... when the war was over. He wanted us to move to San Francisco. He'd heard that there was a neighborhood there called North Beach. He often talked about that. I remember once we were on patrol and we met up with this kid from another unit. He was from San Francisco. I thought Wally was going to talk his ears off with all the questions. And he asked some that I thought might make the kid suspicious, but he didn't seem to know what Wally was getting at. The kid wrote his mom and asked her to send Wally a postcard. I'll never forget his smile when he got it. He said you were both so excited about going, you couldn't wait. Well, that's not entirely true. 
He was dying to go to San Francisco, but I wasn't so sure. Why not? Because for me, it was all about Greenwich Village in New York. Our last leave before shipping out was in New York, and that's where... Well, I guess that's where we really first fell for one another. We used to argue about it all the time. He was so stubborn. <laughs> that absolutely sounds like him. So why didn't you... What? Go to New York. I don't know. After I got home, I was so... lost. All I wanted to do was disappear, you know? A friend of my mother's heard about the factory job, and it just seemed like a good way not to make any waves. Because for all that we'd been through, I still felt the same I did before I left. Like I had to fit into some mold, so that's what I tried to do. And besides, I'm not sure it would have been the same without him. I've always wanted to try to be a writer. There's a whole community of artists in New York right now. It's the most exciting place on the planet. I'm just not sure if I'm up for it. Bill, you fought a war. You were in love, and you lost that love in the worst way. And here you are, somehow managing to get yourself up and into a suit and go on a blind date on New Year's Eve. I'd say you're up for it. And I have to tell you, I'd be quite jealous if you did go. I'm something of a writer myself. You are? Wally never mentioned that. He said you were smart. Smarter than him, even, and he never said that about anybody. I don't think it was something I wanted to do until I got to college. My dorm mate, Ilsa Feinstein, she's a writer. She kind of inspired me. What do you write? Mostly short stories, some poetry. But what I really want to do is write for television. Writing for television? Is that something that people do? Of course. Uh, who do you think comes up with all of these new shows? I love the comedies, and some of them are even hiring women writers. Ilsa, from college, she just got a job on one of those comedy variety shows. Wally always said you were the funniest person he knew. He said it drove your parents crazy. <laughs> it does. <laughs> then you should do it. Oh, sure. You should. I wouldn't even know where to start. You should call your friend. I don't know. But then, so should you. Sorry? You should go to New York and become a writer. You go downtown, I go uptown. Just give up everything and go. Isn't that what you just suggested I should do? <laughs> I guess it was. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Let's add it to our resolution list. Our what? New Year's resolutions. You must have some resolutions. Isn't that the whole point of New Year's Eve? A restart? And this isn't just a new year, it's a new decade. And in case you've forgotten, the one we're getting over wasn't exactly a garden stroll. And not just a new decade, but the second half of this century. It's like the future we've been hearing about all this time just showed up. So it seems to me these resolutions carry a bit more weight than your typical resolution. Well, actually, the decade's not over yet. Excuse me? Well, technically, 1950 is the last year of the 40s. What? You see, there was no year zero. So you must include the year ending in zero as being the final year of the previous decade. Why can't we just say that starting with 10, we go from there? Then that means the first decade would only have nine years. So, who cares? I mean, who's around to complain? Good point. <laughs> Maybe that was the big resolution in year nine. From now on, decades start on the zero. <laughs> I bet you're right. <laughs> I'm sure I am. <laughs> and besides, it can't be all bad. 
We have television, after all. That we do. So are we making a resolution, or aren't we? To move to New York? To quit hiding. God, I feel like ever since the war ended, I've been hiding away, trying to honor my brother's sacrifice. But meeting you here tonight makes me realize that's not what I've been doing at all. And if you don't mind me saying so, neither have you. <laughs> it's not like I can go around weeping for him. Who's weeping? The war ended five years ago. I'm done weeping. I'm ready for the rest of my life to start, and commies and A-bombs be damned. I resolve, right now, as the countdown is beginning, to live the life my brother would have wanted me to, and I think you should do the same. No more moochie. No more moochie. Only 30 seconds to midnight, Billy Boy. What's it gonna be? We're doing this together, right? For Wally? We're doing this together, for Wally. But mostly for us. So? All right. I resolve to start living my life for me and to follow my dreams. To the future. To Wally. To old acquaintances. Now let's get back to the party. We have news for people. recording it's actually december 29th so we're like really like rapidly coming in on new year's eve um mm-hmm. so this is very exciting um let's talk a little bit about where this story came from casey can you tell us a little bit yes. about um the original timeline production yeah so um well to back up a little bit further in 2015 um we wrote a show called divided and paired up with the university club in albany to put that on and we had such a great experience not only working with the university club but trying our hand at writing our own stuff so we wanted to um when we were invited to come back to the university club the following new year's um we wanted to put something together that was a little bit different but still in the vein of you know typical creative license shows so um Evan Jones uh, came on board, and Evan, Aaron, and myself, um, we worked together to write and direct three short plays, um, all that take place on New Year's Eve. The first one, um, 1899. The second one, which you just heard, 1949. And then our third one was 1999. So it was an ultimate exercise in collaboration between Aaron, myself, and Evan to write um, three individual pieces, then direct each other's, all while making sure they kind of had a similar through line and themes, and when presented all together would be kind of a packaged show. Um, so that was a lot of fun to put together. And when we were talking through um, what podcast we could present today, um, Old Acquaintances, that second script of the night, was something that we thought would just be perfect for this. 
Yeah, great. Uh, and it's also worth noting too that um, that we each wrote them, and then we and I think you said this, but like like I directed Evans, yeah. Evan directed yours, and you directed mine. Yes. Um, so we were. It was really a unique sort of theatrical experience for us because we we were so much more entrenched in the material. Yeah. Than we normally would be just doing a play that we, you know, pull from dramatists or some other place. Right, right. So it was nice to, at least for me, when I would be directing, I would have you, because you were the author of the one I directed, um, right there with me. So if I had a question about something or if you had a thought on how you really envisioned something playing out, we could work together and collaborate. And right. I just wasn't... Flying blind, you know, directing a play right. that I had never met the playwright of, right. or something like that. And it was just exciting as a you know as a creative endeavor to just sort of collaborate in those ways and collaborate yeah. on on writing. That's not something that I do a lot of. So yeah. it was it was interesting to be able to do that. And yep. it's de it's definitely a different feeling of like hearing your words that you've written sort of regurgitated back to you by someone else. But it also makes you feel like, man, actors make words so much better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And we had, um, we had Steve and Meg who acted in all three of them. So that was a whole other challenge uh, for them. I remember kind of working through as well, where they are learning three plays to be presented at once, three very different characters working with three different directors. Um, so there were a lot of parts that went into putting this together, but I think because it was the five of us, me, you, Evan, Steve, and Meg, just all of us were at every rehearsal working together. Um, and it just made a really fun, kind of safe environment to put together this really wacky show. Right, right. Um, and so for this one, we, uh, just for expediency, we decided to recast it um, with Ian and Casey taking on mm -hmm. the two main roles that were originally played by Steve and Meg. Um, and uh, Ian, what was it like sort of coming into the, now you had seen it when it I was, a when we did it back at the University Club. So you knew the story, you knew right. basically. Um, what was it like sort of coming into it and and becoming the character of Bill? Um, it was cool. I mean, I, you know, I had uh, read the script. I mean, like you said, I had seen it a couple of years ago. Um, I read the script over a couple of times. Um, and, you know, it's it's always hard sort of recreating something or carrying the torch. I don't know if recreating is the right word. Carrying the torch of, of something that someone has already started, you know, because you don't want to... Um, you know, you want to make it your own to a certain extent, but you also don't want to betray what, you know, the original production was because obviously the, the original production was a particular way because that's the way it was supposed to be, so to, mm -hmm. so to speak. So, um, you know, it's always a bit of a challenge to kind of find your own footing while not, um, or, or still paying homage, so to speak, to the, to the original. Um, but it was cool. I mean, it's a, it's a great little script. Uh, it's a neat part, um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of emotions to unpack in these 17 pages, um, but it's been it's been really fun. And obviously, like you know, I know you all very well, so working with you is always always great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, it's funny, and I and I think I, I told you guys this when we were we were getting ready to do it that I was excited that you guys were going to not to take it. It's, the work that Steve and Meg did on this when we did it live was amazing. It was above yeah. and beyond what I could have imagined. Yeah. But um, I, 
when I wrote this, I was kind of in my mind, sort of for to draw from inspiration. I was hearkening back to when we did All My Sons at Albany Civic Theater, and Ian, you played Chris Keller, right. and Casey, you played Ann Deaver, and creating these two characters of Sylvia and Bill. It, I jokingly said to you guys, it was a little bit like my all my son's fan fiction <laughs> of like of like another sort. So so I was really using Chris and Anne as my inspiration for these two characters. Right. So it was fun for particularly for me to now see you two actors as sort of who had played Chris and Anne and sort of inspired these characters to then kind of come in and play these characters. Yeah. Um, and and it also I think created a little bit of a shorthand because I was able to just say to you guys, just play it like you played Chris and Anne yeah, <laughs> yeah. seven or eight years ago or yeah. however long ago. Well, was. yeah, and that was a fun time doing that show. And I actually really love um, movies or plays or any kind of artistic stuff that's set in this time period. Um, I just love the period so much. And I, I love the way that people spoke at that time. Mm -hmm. um, so many beautiful words and like the way that they just you know, hitting all of these words so strongly. Like, yeah. people don't do that yeah. really anymore. Yeah. So this has been right. a lot of fun. So moochie. To... It's so, so moochie. Uh, you know, and I think, <laughs> I think one of the things that was that was fun about writing it, too, was re realizing that, you know, there's a lot more politeness and there's a lot more... The, the, the exchanges that took place back then just sounded differently, yeah. I think. Yeah. I think people listened to each other more. Because sure. we could only listen to each other. We didn't right. have all the distractions yeah. that we have today, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so so writing these lines where people were really listening to each other and 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 were polite to each other, just the way that they interacted. Right. Um, and thinking about that and how it would have been different in 1949 right. versus 2019. Or, you know, and, and, you know, even for two strangers to be in a room together and actually speak to each other right yeah. I mean, sure yeah. right right, right. Yeah. i mean nowadays when I, when there'd be two people in a room on the phone but listen, the elevator is a great example yeah i don't yeah. talk to people on elevators <laughs> yeah. i get in the elevator my phone comes out of my pocket because yeah. yeah. i need something to do yeah you know? yeah i actually went to the palace theater and saw chris rock a couple years ago and he had a policy where you had to get like one of those little bags when you came in and your phone went in that and it was locked and you could only unlock it if you got back to like the front lobby mm -hmm. so nobody had access to their phones while they were in the theater waiting for the show to start and i remember like taking a look around and just sort of being in awe like <laughs> yeah, yeah. people are like talking to each other <laughs> and like enjoying each other's company because right. we I thought you you were gonna say you were like looking around. There were just all these people just seething. Like that scene in Mean Girls where they're like fighting around the water. Uh, and so Isaac, you uh, we discovered as we came to the end of recording that you did not see this when, when I did not. No, this is my first show. experience with this one. I was not available when the the show was going. Mm. Oh, <laughs> <Suspicious>. <laughs> uh, but I heard really good things about it, um, and I'm actually really glad that I could be here for this, so I can kind of feel like I, I got some of the experience if not getting to see the other shows, but who knows what future podcasts will bring. Yeah. Yeah, it's and, very exciting. And when we presented it in 2016 um, at the University Club, it's a very um, intimate space, and seating was limited. Um, so we were lucky enough to, to fill our house, but there were still so many folks and, you know, fans of Creative License that didn't get the opportunity to see the production because it was only that one night. Um, so that's why... 
picking it um, to do it now for the podcast just felt right so we could share this great piece that we've created with more people. Great. Um, and I mean, if it's something that people like and they respond to and, and they like the idea, maybe we'll go back and revisit the other two scripts. Um, you know, we'll have to talk to, to Evan and, and, yeah. and that Casey Polamain as a writer. Oh, she's like she's the worst. The worst. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, but uh, but if people are, are into it, maybe we'll go back yeah. and, and record those as well. They're, they're very different. My favorite thing about Timeline was how very different the three stories were yeah. from one another. They were they, they were almost like completely different genres. Yeah. You know, I mean, yours was a little bit more of sort of a, a sort of a romantic comedy kind of yes. vibe. Yep, you I know? took on the 1899 one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and then, of course, Evans was just sort of this this space farce. Yeah. It's the only way I can describe it, you know. Yep. Um, so, so, yeah, so I think I think if, if, if people like it, we'll, uh, we'll go back and we'll look at those other scripts, too. Yeah. Evan, you're on standby. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <clears throat> Look at that, I'm coughing. I'm uh, you're so, so riled up I'm about so this. Riled <laughs> up. Yeah. Um, this was fun. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah. And from all of your friends at Creative License, we hope you have a very happy new year. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>